want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide. Six steps to infuse storytelling into your live videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. Today's podcast episode has a topic I am incredibly passionate about and so excited to bring to you all. My guest is Lata J. She is a spiritual coach and Ayurvedic practitioner who blends modern insights with traditional wisdom. She integrates what she has learned through her life experiences to teach people to change perceptions, manifest, and modify their lifestyles. So in this episode, you'll learn what is Ayurveda, what is your dosha, and how to utilize its properties in your daily life. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Okay, my friends, on today's podcast, I have with me Lata J. We go quite a ways back, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I rediscovered you on TikTok, and you are like a TikTok star. You are a TikTok star. I merely started, two, as my listeners know, two months ago on TikTok, but you are like a star there, and it is so fun to see you there and to, to reconnect because of it. Yeah, it's been an incredible ride. I actually just started my TikTok in January, so it's been ridiculous. Um, I had my first video go like super viral. I have like over 1.2 million views just this past weekend. So it's very, very new to me. That's incredible. Yeah. So for everyone out there who doesn't know you, obviously I do. Tell us a bit about who you are, what you do and who you serve. So my name is Lata J. I am an Ayurvedic practitioner and as well as a spiritual coach. And I serve the community of people that want to learn more about spirituality, meditation, crystals, Hinduism to some extent, and all things Ayurveda. So, Which is what we're going to talk about today. And the irony of that is not lost on me because this goes back to our story of knowing each other, of meeting. 2012, we decided it had to have been, which is almost 10 years ago. You were in a teacher training program as a student that I was teaching in. In that program, I primarily taught pranayama and some asana, but the owner of the studio said to me, you know about Ayurveda. You're the only one on staff who does. Why don't you teach the Ayurveda section? (laughs) And then I would say, does anybody know anything about it? And you were like, hand went up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, hi there. So I grew up in in Indian households. We had you know, like Ayurvedic things all around us all the time. We always did things in the space of healing. So everything that we ate, I was mainly raised by my grandmother, right? So she came straight from India. She's lived there her whole life. She came here in her sixties to help to raise me and my sisters. And she did everything Ayurvedic. And I never understood that it was like a different way of life or that it was like something that was people wanted to know about. Cause I was like, this is just what grandma does. Like, yeah, of course we eat lots of turmeric, you know, it was so commonplace to me. So it was actually through that teacher training when I realized like, oh, wow, people are like teaching this and want to learn it. And I was like, you know, something kind of sparked for me, like, Hey, I could teach this from there. Like my path kind of took me to end up getting a master's degree 
um, learning about Ayurvedic science and integrative medicine. So that's kind of what's gotten me here. I, I love, I love it. It's such a complicated science. So let's actually start there for those that are out there that are like, I've heard Nick talk about it because I've talked about this on several podcasts. Uh-huh. I've heard me talk about Ayurveda, but they don't actually know what it is. So what is Ayurveda? Okay. So it breaks down the actual word of it is the science of life or like life knowledge. So it is a traditional system that was created years ago to teach people how to best live their life. And ultimately, when you follow Ayurveda, the point, the you know, the end goal is to be able to live a healthy and happy life for over 120 years. I love 120 years. It's so awesome. Part of Ayurveda, too, is this idea of living in harmony with the universe, with all things, with the elements, so to speak, that we are the microcosm of the great macrocosm, ultimately. Yeah, there's a large part of it that is all about unity consciousness and understanding exactly that, that, you know, what we put into our body affects us how we act in the world affects us, the things that we do affect us, the way that we sleep and eat and rise and interact with other people, it's all an effect upon us and we have an effect upon the world. And really understanding that is the basis of it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why that studio owner had asked me to teach the Ayurveda section because I came to my diet through Ayurveda, through Ayurvedic practices. I was very fortunate in my 200 hour to have a Ayurvedic practitioner actually in the in the training with us. She uh, diagnosed me with my dosha and through that gave me practices and diet. And I did this elimination diet to really find what worked for my system. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of gave a bit of that, but explain how you use Ayurveda then. Yeah, so it's really based on this whole concept of balance and imbalance, right? So it's like health or disease. So everything that you're doing is either serving you to bring you closer to one or the other, to bring your body more into health and balance, or closer towards disease and imbalance. And basically, in Ayurveda, there's three doshas. There's vata, pitta, and kapha, and each person has predominant doshas. So I've never really met someone that was just one dosha. There's people that are, you know, maybe they're like mostly kapha, but then they got a bit of pitta or a bit of vata in there. And basically what that means is that those are the doshas that are the most imbalanced. So they, they'll show up the most for that person. And when you say dosha, what does that mean? So a dosha is basically the energy force that has created life, right? So it's basically what has created our physical body. And it determines our conditions of growth and aging and how we are either, like I was saying, healthy or, you know, moving more towards disease. When I meet someone and they're like, hey, I'm a kapha dosha, I'm like, okay. But there's always a bit of each. Like, you're not just that. Everyone has all three doshas. It's just what is the most imbalanced or showing up the most for that person. Yeah, because we're all all things, ultimately. If we go back to that idea of unity, we are all part of the great system and therefore we are part of all of it as well. We can't, we can't only be one thing. It's not even possible. Yeah. And the doshas too are actually based on the elements as well. So each one has a significance and an energy that it works with. And I can kind of go into that if you'd like me to. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. I think that's the part that of course, that people like go take the quiz to find out what's my dosha, right? Mm -hmm. And then you hear people walk around, like you were saying, being like, I'm kapha, I'm pitta, I'm bata. Like it's like (laughs) it's a badge of honor or something, right? But I think this is the fun part of it for a lot of people. And also I think it's useful and helpful. Now I want to also say, as you well know, I'm 
preaching to the choir here, that when you go take one of those quizzes, it's just that it's like taking a Cosmo quiz. It's yes. you, you've got to really be diagnosed, which is a complex process, which we can talk about. But first, let's go through the doshas because they're fun. Sure, absolutely. So we had mentioned Kapha a couple of times, and I'm a Kapha dosha show. That's like my favorite. Well, it's the one I most relate to, right? So Kapha is all about somebody that is like a sturdy energy. They tend to be like a very nurturing person, well-proportioned, round cheeks, smiley, jovial. And some of the things that they deal with is that they can tend to hold more weight, so they can be a little bit more robust in, in shape. And they tend to have issues that are binding related. So binding related, meaning like mucus issues, like asthma or constipation issues, things like that, that their body is holding on to things. And then, so another dosha is vata. And vata is all about like moving energy, right? A person that is a vata dosha is going to tend to be more slender, like a lighter weight. They're going to have some strength and bone structure to them, but they also tend to have drier hair, more brittle nails, and they can tend to gain and lose weight quickly, more quickly. And people of Vata Dosha tend to also have more of like a flighty, airy sense to them. The elements that are representative of Vata Dosha are air and ether. So it tends to be people that might have more um, like ADD, you know, that are having more issues focusing. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am a Vata. <laughs> yes, I could have called you out. <laughs> But, um, you know, each, so being a dosha or having a predominant dosha doesn't, it's not a good or bad thing. It's more of an assessment of who you are so that then you can know what things you can use to, you know, better serve you for who you are, you know? So it's not a good or bad thing. And I know we always make jokes about this in the Ayurveda community about, hey, you know, this person's this dosha. So it's like, oh, taboo, but it's not. It's just who you are. It's the what's though, right? So going on into pitta dosha. So pitta dosha tends to be people that are kind of in the middle, like medium, medium height, medium development, tend to be a little bit more muscular in their systems. But the thing about pitta people, they tend to redden easily, like have a redder complexion. Pitta is actually all about like a transformational energy. So it's all about like heat. You'll know a pitta person when you meet them because they'll have some of the qualities that I mentioned, but they'll also be very passionate. Pitta people are just very passionate people, you know, and sometimes that can come up with, uh, you know, an aggressive or a competitive nature. And that's how you'll know. And the interesting thing that I find about this is that you can also notice your imbalances. Yes. Like there are times when I, I am primarily Vata, I'm Vata Pitta. Kapha is like teeny, teeny, teeny little bit of Kapha. We're the reverse. We're the, we're the reverse, you and I. We're opposites, right? Yeah. Teeny, teeny, teeny little bit of Kapha. But what I find is that my Pitta can get deranged is the word that, that, that yeah. is used. It's, it's hard to explain what deranged is. Perhaps you can help me. But basically that it gets pushed on mm-hmm. and that that is where a lot of problems for me occur is when I get too heavy into a Pitta state. Yeah, so that what you're saying is as derangement, and yes, that is the word that is used. It's I like to think of it as kind of like an increase or an imbalance, right? So like the pitta is kind of like at hand, so it's rising up. And when pitta is in a deranged state, it tends to cause like inflammation, heartburn, things that are related to fire, right? So it can even cause um, some skin problems, hair falling out, liver issues, it, gallbladder issues. It's like all of those things that are going on that are transformational related in your body. Yeah, and that is where the, it's the interesting thing for me is that is where a lot of my problems occur. I'm bald, for instance. I have heartburn a lot. 
you know, it's really a fascinating study when you can kind of look at it and go, okay, so here's what's going on with me. Now what? Like, what do I, how, what do I do with that information? So it's actually a great thing to know, because if you know your doshas and like what is kind of imbalanced, you can know different ways to balance them. And there's a specific diets and spices and routines, daily routines that you can work on depending on your dosha and depending on what you're trying to heal from, recover from. And the thing about Ayurveda is that it's all about healing the cause of the problem. And I think that a lot of times in Western medicine, we get very distracted about healing the symptom, you know, even with like tonsillitis for little kids, I have two small children. And every time that they ever had like a throat infection or inflamed tonsils, it was like, okay, cut those out. And for me, I'm just like, wait, what? You know, it just, it, I, and I get it. I get that, that there might be needed in some cases, but to immediately go to that, which is like the alarm system of the body saying, Hey, there's an issue here. There's an issue here. There's a deeper issue. And it just, you know, it turned out that one of my kids had a, a dairy intolerance and a sensitivity to that. And once we were able to rectify that, the tonsil issues went away. Yeah, I love that. I love, that's exactly why I have studied Ayurveda, why it has been a big part of my life. It's, it's, it's part of how I live my life is because of exactly what you just talked about, getting to the root. It's interesting because you are somebody who actually studied Western medicine. Did you or did you not go to medical school? Yes, I actually did. <laughs> I went to medical school my whole entire life. I knew that I was supposed to be in the healing arts. I knew I was supposed to work with people. That was like my passion, my drive, everything. And the way that I thought I was supposed to do that was through medical school. So I went to a traditional medical school. I did my undergraduate for four years. I majored in biology and psychology, went through a Rutgers University, then I went to medical school and I did probably about almost to completion. I was a few months away from graduation. I had a couple of rotations I had to complete, at which point I was just like, I was just so depressed. I could not continue, you know, in that field because there was such a misalignment with what I was meant to do here on earth and like what I was actually doing and what I was pursuing. And I just could not do it anymore. And when people hear that, they're like, what? You could have just finished the last couple of rotations. You could have just finished the last six months. But for me, I'm just like, I couldn't have. I, I literally could not have because that wasn't, that wasn't my dharma. Like that wasn't why I was put here. So it's really cool to have all of the knowledge, but not have the responsibility of a Western medical doctor, you know? So when clients come to me, I have this really interesting viewpoint of both, you know, and I'm not against Western medicine to any extent. I, I totally understand the need for both. And I understand that they can work together as a complement rather than as an alternative. 120% agree with that. And that is about why I mentioned that, because I want people to understand that it's not either or. It's yes and. Yes and. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of things that you can deal with and manage through Ayurveda, it can be such a complement to what you're already doing and working with your physician and things like that. You know, adding certain spices to your diet or waking up at certain times or, you know, doing certain yoga positions and asana and things like that, meditating. All of this is a part of Ayurveda. And I think that a lot of times it can get kind of distilled down to just like, oh, it's just your doshas and what you eat, you know? Yeah. It's not. It's like so robust and it's so much about like your complete picture of who you are in a balanced life. I mean, there's a reason that they call it the sister science to yoga exactly. and that it is a holistic system or a holistic and beyond system. It's a holistic way of beingness that is really about the entirety of your day and the entirety of your existence and the entirety of way in which you walk in the world. Speaking of like this idea of Western medicine and the evolution of that has been so interesting 
what is the history of Ayurveda? Where does that come from? It's the oldest form of medicine in the world. How is that possible? Yeah, it is. It's been around since before even um, 35 BC. And that's like the first times that they had it in written text. But it was believed that it it has been passed down orally for like thousands of years even before that. So it's something that has deep roots in India. It was first written in Sanskrit, which is like the main language that it's, I think Sanskrit is considered the language that all other languages kind of were born from. And it's, you know, no longer a traditionally spoken language, but Tamil, which is one of the languages that actually stemmed off of that is a language that I speak, that my family comes from in that part of India. So, you know, these Arabic traditions and things like that just are very ingrained in the Indian culture. And a lot of times Indian families, even, you know, more modernized American Indians that I meet will be doing things and they're, they don't even know the roots of it, but they're just like, oh, we just, this is just how we do things. And it's a pretty cool thing to see. And I really love that there's more cultures that are embracing it and seeing that there are, you know, ways that they can impact their health and wellness that aren't necessarily a pill that they can, you know, try to drink certain things or do certain things and it's going to positively impact their health. I love seeing that. I, I think that it's so fun for me to see having been around the Ayurvedic circles for a couple decades to see mm-hmm. it now. I see it spreading, which is beautiful in a weird way. And you're like, at the same time, you're like, this is the oldest thing ever. So we're just full circle. We're back to the basics. We're back to the beginning. And yes, we can have this modern knowledge and this modern technology and all of these tools, because ultimately it's all a tool. But basically, we're back to the idea of a way of beingness, which I love. Yeah. And at the same time, somebody who is a Caucasian person we want to be super careful that we're not cultural appropriating. Yeah. And I, that's, that's been more of a thing more lately. I think probably within the past maybe seven years or so, it's become much more intense. And I see where that comes from because a lot of times I don't think that it's fair to any culture to just kind of take the value from it, but not give the credit to it. And that's just like any creator, you know, if I made a movie and someone just took the movie and was like talking about it, but not giving credit to me, like, that wouldn't fly. So it shouldn't fly in other areas as well. Which is why I really believe it's so important to share the history. Yes. (laughs) Not just the modern interpretation of whatever it is, no matter, and I'm talking about any, anything culturally. Right. And specifically something as old (laughs) as Ayurveda and as part of the culture, as you were saying, like you didn't even realize that people would be interested. No. (laughs) Because it was so, it was so ingrained in you. Yeah. And some of the things, I mean, growing up, you know, my grandma would do oil pulling all the time and we would just be like, she's kooky. Like, you know, you didn't even think that it could be something so beneficial. And now, you know, I talk about oil pulling all the time. I do it. My kids oil pull, you know, I would have never guessed that this would be my life, you know, thinking about it 20 years ago, watching her do these things. That's really cool. Actually, yeah. that you're now sharing it with a pretty massive audience out there on the TikTok, might I say. Yeah. But in addition to your clients and, and customers and whatnot. So it's really, that's really cool. So going back to understanding your dosha, first and foremost, so that we have an idea mm-hmm. of who and what we are, and that they relate to the elements, they relate to the to earth, water, fire, air, ether. And then we talk a lot about what that means in terms of of food, as you were saying, mm-hmm. or at least in Ayurvedic circles, there's lots of talk about food. I never talked about food so much in my entire life and how I go to the bathroom as much in my entire life as with, with oh, Ayur- yeah. Ayurveda. <laughs> uh-huh. 
because it all matters. Right. It all matters. What you put into your body is like what you get out. And I'm not only talking about like excretion wise, but also like, you know, how your skin is, you know, how your mood is, how if you're feeling hungry soon after, if you're not, your energy levels, it's all related. And I think now more people are kind of waking up to the science behind eating healthy, that Hippocrates quote of, you know, allow food to be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Like it's one and the same. If you're eating healthy and if you're nourishing your body properly, you're not going to encounter some of the other things that a lot of other people who aren't doing that might be encountering. Yeah, I fully agree with that in the sense that I know I can only speak for myself and my experience with it. But when I switched, when I went off of autopilot of what I was eating onto a more mindful way of looking at how when I put something in my body, and I ate it, how did I feel after? Mm-hmm. And I began to track it. And that was super helpful. Also going to an Ayurvedic specialist like yourself, who helped me understand, oh, this is happening because of this. Look at this in relation to this. And to see it in that sort of holistic way, rather than just pieces and parts, which is also one of the things that drives me the most crazy about Western medicine, is they look at one part of it. And they're like, oh, here, take a pill, or here, let's have a surgery, or, well, I don't know what you're going to do. I get that sometimes. So looking at it from a holistic perspective, you can see Mm -hmm. from the bigger picture, which is, I think, one of the most brilliant things that Ayurveda does. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with what you're saying about the Western medicine, too. But I just want to point out, like, it's definitely not the doctors and nurses and the people that are front facing. This is a systemic issue. You know, this is how healthcare in America has been built up to be, because like, even in training to become a doctor, you don't have the luxury to sit with the patient for an hour and try Mm -hmm. to figure out all of their diet and what's going on and all of the details of it. You are in triage mode. Most of the time, you know, you're given 15, 20 minutes with the patient, then they're passed on to the nurse who does like, you know, their thing, or you're passed on to a social worker to give this evaluation. There isn't that time. And that doesn't exist because the doctor doesn't want it to exist. It exists because that's the way the system is set up. And there's also, you know, this whole thing about malpractice in the United States and how that works into it, which really binds the things that doctors can recommend to patients or the, you know, the things that they would even suggest. And it's, it gets really tough. And that was one of the reasons that I knew that I couldn't go into Western medicine for that reason. I can share with you a little bit, but I, one of the last rotations that I actually did was in labor and delivery. So when we're assisting women in, in delivering their babies, birthing their children in hospitals. And just the things that I learned during that rotation, I was just like, I am not the person that wants to be pushing a mother to birth or to go into surgery. You know, like if you're not in this time frame, you have to go into surgery kind of thing. And it, that never sat right with me. And I understand that doctors in, in Western society, in um, the medical system are working within, you know, the malpractice insurance. They have certain things that they have to meet. I always felt like, hey, man, if we could give this mom like another five hours, maybe, maybe in a relaxed atmosphere when we weren't poking her and prodding her under bright fluorescent lights, like maybe she'll relax and this baby will just come right out, you know? (laughs) Yeah, truly. Yeah, I think it's so complicated because of the entire system, as you were talking about, the insurance is tied into it so heavily and what will be paid for, what won't be paid for. It's, um, you know, I'm directing a film, a documentary. It's a five-year process that I've been in, and it's it has to do quite a bit with the medical system in the United States. And that's one of the, the tenets of the film is really looking at the lack of holistic care for a patient. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have doctors in the film saying what you're saying, the point of we got maybe five, five maybe ten minutes total with a patient, 
So they stop taking insurance. Yeah. And then you're looking at a system that only works for some, you know, for those that can afford it, basically. But Ayurveda can work for all. Yes. And it's very accessible. Um, it's stuff that you can learn about your, you know, your body and different things that you can consume. I mean, simple things, even like integrating different spices into your diet can be beneficial. And we can talk a little bit about that if you'd yeah, like. Yeah, please bring, bring it on, bring it okay. on. <laughs> sure. bring, on yeah. bring on, bring on the spice, just not anything, you know, that will activate my pitta. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, different spices can affect us in different ways, depending on our dosha. So for people with kapha dosha, things like cinnamon, ginger, especially, you know, that'll help kind of increase agni. Agni means um, like the digestive fire within us that burns within us. So things that'll increase that is really good for kapha people because they tend to get a little bit more bound up and solid, right? So cumin, black pepper, cloves, all of these things are awesome for people with a kapha dosha. Something a little bit different from that is going to be for people with a vata dosha, right? So again, vata dosha people can have ginger and things like that, ginger, black pepper, cardamom to increase that vata fire. But something that works really well with them is cumin and mustard seed. And then for pitta dosha, it's just, uh, you know, a slightly different as well. So fennel is wonderful for people that are, have the pitta dosha. Also coriander and like the other ones, cinnamon is also great for bringing up the agni, increasing that fire inside of them. But, you know, something that kind of works for all the doshas, and I can just say this almost as a blanket statement, is turmeric. Turmeric is wonderful in helping so many things within our body, and it really acts as an anti-inflammatory agent. Thank you for sharing those. What came to my mind was that it's complicated because it's a, compl- it's a science. So we, I always have to remember it's a science. But it's complicated because you may say, well, in one way, I'm pitta, and in another way, I'm having vata issues. How does one navigate or negotiate all that? What, where does one start first? So it's based on the issue itself, right? And then we're going to work our way back from that. But say that you're having a, you know, a pitta type issue, and then you're getting recommended to have ginger in your diet. It increases fire for whatever reason. That's not going to work for you. And that's going to become very apparent very quickly. So it's, it's really about being in tune with your body. And it's very helpful to also keep a record of how you're feeling. And just like you were saying about seeing how when you eat something, how you're feeling afterwards and keeping notes about that, because then it's more of an understanding. Because sometimes, you know, we forget what we had for lunch yesterday. I'm not even sure I can tell you that. But if we write it down, we have more of an understanding of it. And then if it's like, okay, well, the next morning I felt bloated or cranky or had a headache or whatever the case is, you can kind of look back and see that. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is you're looking at patterning. Exactly. And what's going to work for your body. And, and, you know, each person is a bio-individual, right? So we're all different. And what's going to work for one person is not necessarily going to work 100% for the next person. So as wonderful as Ayurveda is, you have to really know about what is going to work for your body and be in tune with that. Yeah. And I think that you as a practitioner, as somebody who helps people, your guidance, right? But ultimately, it comes down to listening to yourself, like everything does. I mean, what doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Like the end of the day, it's all about that intuitive voice. It's all about listening, which is why we teach all of these practices, which is why we do all of this is so that we can remove those obstacles that are in our way because we are completely whole. You are a whole being, just like Ayurveda is a whole science. You are a whole being, but it's about getting rid of the blocks so that you can really tune in and listen fully. Absolutely. And I think also when you're working with a practitioner, you really get that customized, detailed help. 
because just like I was saying, you know, just you do that online quiz and it says that you're Pitta and then you start doing things that are beneficial for Pitta, but it doesn't work in your life. Well, there's a lot more to it than, you know, this quiz that just told you X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And that is truly why I wanted to bring you on and I wanted to point people into a direction of somebody that I know and I trust that will help them. Because while I practice this in my own life, I am not a practitioner, but I know and understand its benefits so deeply that I wanted to make sure that I brought on somebody who also did, but who could help them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Can I just give you some tips on on the best ways to incorporate turmeric into your diet? Oh, please do. Okay, cool. So um, some things about turmeric is that it is most bioavailable. That means your body can break it down the best when it's in relation to two specific things. So when you're consuming it with fats and with uh, curcumin, black pepper, it's going to be become the most bioavailable to you. So what that might look like for you know someone that is consuming meat, you might want to put it on your meat along with black pepper. And for someone who, you know, is, is a vegan or a vegetarian, you might want to consume it with uh, like an avocado or even to have to use it in a saute with some kind of, you know, natural occurring oil and then consuming it like that. That actually increases the bioavailability, I think, a lot by like 2000%. Wow. Yeah. That's an incredible statistic right there. That, 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 <laughs> yeah. you, you just made your case. You should have been a lawyer, not a doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, it's just something so simple that people can incorporate into their diet that I've really seen make a huge impact because it really does affect, you know, it's a, it's a great anti-inflammatory agent. So mm-hmm. people that are sometimes dealing with rheumatoid arthritis, arthritis in their knees or hands, things are hurting or inflamed or something, you know, people that are getting repeated cysts or just anything that they're having dealing skin issues, you know, the root of most diseases is inflammation. So when you're able to kind of quiet that down and give it some some pause and peace there, your body does what it naturally does and is able to heal. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because as you were going through that list, I thought, oh, well, I do have a bit of arthritis in my wrist, which is actually affecting my yoga practice. And if I could bring down the inflammation, maybe. So thank you for that. I really appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. You know what's also really popular now with turmeric? The golden milk lattes. I don't know if you've oh, seen yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see sure. them everywhere now. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's a really interesting way to have it because, you know, the, the golden milk drink is something, you know, that is part of Ayurveda. And I, I'm not sure how it's really done in cafes and, you know, Starbucks or wherever it is now. But, you know, the milk in there is this the fat. So that is like one aspect of it that is increasing the bioavailability for people. So when I see it, I have mixed feelings, but overall I'm like, okay, if it's doing something good, I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, again, it comes, it goes back to that same same conversation we were having before, but more good than bad, I would say, right. At the end of the day, if it's it's opening a door, it's opening the door. So other thoughts or anything else that we just need to know about Ayurveda to get us started Well, I did want to kind of mention some of the other imbalance types, because I think we only talked about pitta imbalance. Oh, you're right. We did. We did. Let's talk about the others. Yeah. Okay, cool. Can you tell I I dig on this? I'm like, this is so fun. Yeah, let's talk about the others. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's perfect. Perfect. So with with a a vata dosha, some of the imbalances that can come around is really like associated with dryness, right? So dry nails, flaky skin, things that are also associated with movement, like we had been saying, right? So that would be like flatulence, constipation, difficulty falling asleep, but be having your sleep frequently interrupted. 
also things such as anxiety and panic attacks are associated with vata tendencies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sleep, you know that... <laughs> sleep is like the hardest thing in the world for me. So that's why it's constant. It's a constant pacifying of that out of control. It's not even like imbalance. It's out of control for me. Sleep is like the hardest thing. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about the imbalances, because I think that when people hear certain things, their ears perk up and they're like, yeah. wait a second, this could really apply to me, right? Yeah. For the kapha type, imbalances can be stuff uh, that we had kind of mentioned about like asthma, respiratory tract, and uh, bronchial system congestions, but also things like feeling lethargic, sleeping excessively, having issues with cold having issues with feeling limp or tingly, you know, arms and legs, all of those kind of have to do with vata, uh, with, sorry, with kapha imbalances. So, okay. I want to hear a bit about this kapha imbalance thing because I'm, I'm hearing you. And while it's not necessarily me, it's somebody else I love in my life who's having a kapha imbalance. Uh-huh. So to sort of pacify or, or to make the imbalance less imbalanced, what are some things that you would would say to that person? Like, what would, what are some things that you could offer them that would help them? Okay, so you would want to stay away, for kapha in particular, stay away from foods that are kapha increasing, right? So these are sweet foods, oily foods, foods that are very high in protein. Some of the grains that, that are not very aligned with a kapha person is going to be white and brown rice, wheat, um, cooked oats. And the oils and fats that they should not be eating is like butter and different kinds of sugars, right? So basically you want to have a kapha person really be able to incorporate things in their life that are going to increase the ugly, the fire energy within them. So one simple thing that a kapha person that's dealing with some imbalances can do is to drink warm water with lemon in the morning. And that kind of gets your whole digestive system moving. It just gets you, your whole system moving. And it's going to kind of counteract that binding quality that is with kapha. Do you want to know like some more foods and stuff or which way you want to go with this? <laughs> we can go so many ways. <laughs> uh, no, that, that, that was all really, really helpful. Honestly, that's going to help me. And now let's do the same for pizza because, because we did it for vata. I don't think we've done it for pizza, have we? No. And if we have, here's a redo. So for someone, someone that's, again, right? So someone that's dealing with uh, with pitta imbalances, some foods that you would want to stay away from are the foods that are going to increase pitta within your body. So this is going to be foods that are spicy, that are hot. Um, this is going to be foods that are really going to really set off the ugly or the fire within you. And you want to avoid those foods. Also with fruit wise, it, it would be like sour, sour fruits, like lemons and things like that dried fruits you'd want to stay away from, um, and oils and fats, like you'd want to stay away from corn oils and also things like um, sesame oil as well is not going to be well-suited for someone that's dealing with a pitta imbalance. I'm laughing because, you know, it's it's funny because <laughs> it can get so complicated, right? Like when, you, when you're looking at it and because, you, you know, personality-wise, you may feel like you're more one thing than you are physically and then the physical manifestation, which is why go to a practitioner. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the other thing is there's so much information out there. When you work with a practitioner, they can just guide you to the stuff you need. You yeah. know, it's a matter of just having the answer kind of given to you, but you kind of work with your practitioner to find out what is going to work best for you because there's so many different directions that you can go. Yeah. I mean, that's why we've, it's been interesting with this conversation because we could like do an entire podcast series on 
Ayurveda alone, right? I mean, because we haven't even gotten into the calendar, the the cycle of the year and the month and and why the moon and, you know, the day, the Dinacharya. There's so many Mm -hmm. pieces to Ayurveda that I thank you for coming and sharing like 101, (laughs) the basic, you know, that's the sort of basic just to get people started because what I really wanted was for people to get curious and for them to go do that quiz, find your dosha, then really get diagnosed and dig in. And if nothing else, begin to be more mindful of what you're putting into your body and how it makes you feel. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and just to to be able to communicate with you and be able to talk to people and have this message kind of reach more people is amazing. So thank you for that opportunity. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. How can people find you? So you can find me on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) My TikTok username is Letha underscore J, J J-A-Y underscore, or you can reach me at my website. It's www.com. Lutha Thank you so much for being here, for um, sharing your incredible knowledge. You've got a great wealth of knowledge to share with everyone. And I, I appreciate you and appreciate passing it down because this is a lineage that's passed down and you're passing it down. So thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to DM Lata and myself and let us know on the TikTok, since we're both on TikTok now, let us know your takeaway, your thought, or a question that you may have, because I have a feeling this episode brought up a bunch of questions. And be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you so much.